In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear Or spirit One spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room So I invite you to, be, to notice your next breath in just a simple and beautiful way. But just simply bring our awareness, your awareness, to that giving and receiving of this body form and how it's supported. Someone shared with me as they came in this morning, there are over a million people marching in France right now to take a stand together for peace. Let us energetically stand with them this day. Let us know that this one life, this one power, which is our life, beautifully and fully orbed and having and finding its way by means of each and every one of us in this moment in a powerful and amazing way, let us also recognize our brothers and sisters upon this planet, wherever they're suffering, wherever people are standing with us to illuminate this planet in a more grand and beautiful way. Let us know that our discussion today at the deepest levels of being transforms each and every one of us, opening us, widening us, making more, us more available to that divine genius that is seeking expression. And as we continue to grow and practice and expand in our capacity to give and receive, that conversation becomes more prevalent and beautiful and expressed in our lives. And so we celebrate our brothers and sisters upon this planet, especially our brothers and sisters in France this day who are taking a stand for peace, are taking a stand to say, we, this that has happened, that this, this tragedy and sadness that has visited our doorstep is not what we represent. And so we stand with them in this. We open our hearts and minds to those families that have been so impacted by this unfortunate situation. But I also know that each and every one of us has everything we need to love and support ourselves, one another, and those people. Wherever love is needed, I know that this room is so filled with it that it is generously shared. So we stand in consciousness together, knowing at that quantum level there is no separation. For this, I give thanks for this beautiful day, for music, for life, for laughter, for, for community, for the opportunity to continue to grow and expand upon this planet in such a beautiful way. For all the beautiful teachers and avatars that have come before us to express what we share and celebrate this day, I give thanks. Knowing this is already true, impressed upon this infinite divine intelligence in a powerful, beautiful, wonderful way of generosity and spirit and allowing the infinite to do its thing by means of us, I give thanks and together we say, and so it is. Beautiful. Is it warming up out there? Pretty good? Haven't been out in a, since... Good, good, yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. 
Well, welcome. It's such a beautiful, beautiful opportunity. It's such a joy for me to be able to be with you in this capacity and to be able to, to um, put together some ideas that I think uh, will provide value for, for all of us and help continue our own growth and shifting. So we've been talking about planting the seeds of mindfulness this month, and I like the metaphor of seeds because we're always planting. We're always always sowing something, and we're always harvesting something, and that's the nature of life. So nature is such a great example of that. It's planting the seeds of mindfulness, and so what what crop am I selecting? You know, what am I I planting this day? Because if if I simply go along with my habitual patterns, I will continue to plant pretty much the same thing I've planted in the past. So I will, I'll say, geez, I, I did corn last year, I'm going to do corn this, this year too. And, and sometimes I'll, I'll, I will, won't realize in my mindfulness of what I'm selecting, what crop I'm selecting, I'll, I'll plant corn but think that I've planted apple trees. Do you know what I mean? And then I can be disappointed because I got more corn. So I think it's a wonderful metaphor for what our teaching represents. And I've got some just powerful ideas that I want to share with you that I think are cutting edge and, and, and meaningful. So what I know is for myself and for you is that we will extract from this experience today the right and perfect next knowing to move us forward. And maybe it's not an intellectual thing. Maybe it's an energetic thing. So what has inspired our discussion this week has been this amazing uh, story by Dr. Eben Alexander, neuroscience, uh, uh, surgeon, uh, educator, uh, remarkable man, and he had a near-death experience. He wrote the two books that we showed during the uh, uh, announcements, Proof of Heaven and Map of Heaven. And Proof of Heaven is first is his narrative of what happened and, and sort of the beginnings of it. And Map of Heaven was the aftermath of his processing those things. So it's inspired sort of stepping off today because the soil that we prepare last week was clearing the soil. And this week is selecting the crop. And I, th- I think it is so vitally important for us to go slow at the beginning with what we are setting as an intention so that... The, our labors of that intentionality can continue to flourish and, and give a, a, a bouquet of possibility within our lives. So I have a slide of the brain, and he talked about this. If you look at the brain, I shared it last week, but I want to just touch on it briefly. That, that whole uh, snaky thing on top, that's the neocortex. And when he went into this um, uh, viral meningitis, uh, that whole neocortex was attacked and shut down. So that's where all the higher learning and the thinking and, the, and all of the things, the, the, the recognition and memory all are there, and it all shut down on him, as can be measured. And yet he still had this amazing experience. And he talks about that. But one of the things that happened for him, he was transformed. Everything that he knew and everything that he taught and understood, in other words, he thought that the brain created consciousness. And what he, we know now is that the brain does not create consciousness. The brain actually participates in consciousness in clamping down. It's a filter within the brain that clamps down that quantum field, that mystical realm. And I think it's, it's designed that way for a reason, because if we probably had more insight into that, we may not be so fully engaged and active and, and passionate in our lives. So it's very interesting how it's constructed. But so what happened for him is that all got uh, dismantled. His structure of knowing got dismantled. He had this, uh, and he came back and everything was changed. So now he lectures and he teaches on his experience and, and the possibilities. So the next slide will show the first thing he talked about when he, when in his spiritual practice, which has become precious for him, and I think it's worth noting. He said the first thing to do in going into uh, his meditation, he does a lot of meditation now. He does two to three hours a day. My friend Eileen Flanagan, who's with us today, said that he's actually going to be in the Mile High Church coming up soon, which is a wonderful thing. And part of my vision for possibility is, wouldn't it be great if we could bring him here? 
But it's an amazing thing, and we have brought them here. Brought them here through the books and through the internet, so I mean, we're not, it's not like we're limited in access. But anyway, the first thing he says is intention. The first thing that when he sits down for meditation is setting an intention. And what I love about setting an intention and what has really become clear in part of my deeper practice this past year especially is setting an intention that is not based on current conditions. In other words, inviting the possibility in. So not that, you know, that to have to pray anything out, but to simply say, wow, you know, I am so grateful and happy that my life thrives in every area, that I am absolutely debt-free financially and every other way, spiritually, emotionally. And so it stretches me. So it's not based on the, the struggles or challenges or obstacles I have right now, but I know that as I set the intention of whatever it may be, and it could be that in this moment, many times it's simply in this moment, whatever is important for me to realize, to know, is made clear. As I sit down in my meditation to guide and direct and support, and I'm available to that deeper conversation. But it can be whatever we want it to be. You know, my first initial meditations where I hope I can sit down and actually stay sitting for 20 minutes. To sit for 20 minutes in meditation, when I started back in the, when I was in my 20s, was like, it was torture. And so over time, but, but part of it was a persistence. The, the, the second piece is gratitude. Gratitude is such a powerful, powerful mechanism for accessing that, that realm. When Ibn Alexander had the near-death experience, he, he talks about going into what he called muddy, uh, hot mud, bubbling mud in his awareness. And then all of a sudden, a light went on. And he was lifted up in a realm upon realm upon realm until he was finally in the higher realms. And he, he, he felt he was near the core where this ohm was, was being chanted. And so he talks about that experience quite beautifully. There's a beautiful movie called No Solar, which we watched when we went to Brazil with John of God, which very much articulates the same idea, that, that the level of consciousness we enter into those quantum fields determines our experience there. And, as our, and, and even in that space, it's an awakening. So I want to share with you a beautiful poem by Mary Oliver that I think speaks volumes in such a practical and beautiful way. It's to begin with the sweet grass. It, in, a, in a practical and simple way, articulates how we can access gratitude wherever we are. She begins, eat bread and understand comfort. Drink water and understand delight. Visit the garden where the scarlet trumpets are opening the bodies for the hummingbirds who are drinking the sweetness, who are thrillingly gluttonous. For one thing leads to another, and soon you will notice how stones shined underfoot. Eventually, tides will be the only calendar you believe in. And someone's face, whom you love, will be a star, both intimate and ultimate. And you will both be heart-shaken and respectful. And you will hear the air itself like a beloved whisper. Oh, let me for a while longer enter the two beautiful bodies of your lungs. Isn't that beautiful? As if, the, as if breath has a voice. Look and look again. This world is not just a thrill for your eyes. And so she's speaking about our environment and the consciousness and awareness we bring to it. And for me, it's a portal to gratitude. Which, and gratitude is that feeling experience for me. It's not an intellectual process. It opens my heart up. It opens my mind up in, a, in, in just a beautiful way. He also talks about, so it's intention and gratitude, and then he talks about the small voice. You know that little small voice that we all have? As he says, it's not our friend. Our little small voice is not our friend. Uh, I had a busy weekend. I had a lot of preparation to do. We did our leadership uh, work with our beautiful practitioners and our beautiful ministers, and we have more of it this afternoon. And so one of the things that happened for me was my pattern of preparation was reconfigured. 
And so what that looked like is that when I went home, I would say, okay, I'm going to get this piece done, and then I'm going to get up early in the morning, and I'll finish all the other pieces. And then I would go to bed, and I'd lay down, and that little voice would go, hey, we're not ready yet. We're not ready yet. And I go, oh, so I'd get back up and I'd go work a little more. And then I'd go, okay, I'm done. And a little voice said, you better go get some sleep. You better lay down, man. You're going to be tired. You'll be exhausted. Oh, so I'd go lay down. And I'd lay down there and I'd close my eyes for about 10 minutes. And then all of a sudden it'd be, you know, you're not ready with your talk yet. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not. Sit straight up, put the bathrobe on, go back down to work. So I got to do this dance and it was fascinating because here I am talking about this and referring to this. And then I'm having the experience that I can share with you. So it's fascinating. And so it was a beautiful thing because I have, these, I have these, these agreements with that infinite divine intelligence within me to, to work with me in collaboration, co-creation, and preparation. And we sort of got a time schedule established. And so the little voice was doing its part. But it was very interesting because then I have to quiet the little voice. And as he said, when he goes into his meditation, he simply says to that little voice, you go to timeout. Right now you go to timeout with great love. So you're, you sit in the corner there. There's a wonderful quote by John Keats, beautiful poet, and I think it speaks volumes to a perception and a, and, a, and, a, and a practice around this. He says, several things dovetail in my mind and at once it struck me. What quality went to form a man of achievement, especially in literature, and which Shakespeare possessed so enormously? I thought about this when I was reading it. I thought, could you imagine going to, to grammar school with Shakespeare? And it's, it's essay day, and he goes first. And you're sitting there with your five lines that's taken you six weeks to write, and he gets up and does, to be or not to be. I mean, and what he, he continues, I mean negative capability. That is when man is capable, man or woman or humanity, is capable of being in uncertainties, mysteries, doubts, without any irritable reaching after fact and reason. To trust the mystery, to understand as we, as we move into, as we deepen, as we, we move through this portal of what for even Alexander was the near-death experience. What I love about my life is I don't have to, I don't have to die to get closer to heaven. And I love that. I mean, this stuff just reinforces what I know in my heart to be true. So his last practice around this idea is allowing. With our practice, it never happens for us if we're forcing it are forcing, reaching, as, as Keats would say, without any irritable reaching after fact and reason to understand it. But it's a mystery. And understand that mystery is part of who we are. And it's not a problem. It's just, it's just understanding there's some things we're never going to figure out and we're never going to know. We're just going to know them energetically. So I talked about, he came back from this experience, talked about it last week. This is this, the website called Sacred Acoustics. And this is one of the images of one of the uh, CD covers that you can order or, or download it online. Uh, he came back and started working with some sound engineers on what he wanted to present and share with the world. And I'm going to invite Bill. We've, we're going to queue up about a minute and a half of this so you can hear it and get com- comfortable with it. But Sacred Acoustics is where you can find this. And a number of people ask me. So that's what it looks like. If you Google Sacred Acoustics, it'll take you right there. So Bill, and I'm going to invite you to simply close your eyes and take this in for a moment.
So I just wanted to give you a little taste of that because it's, it's wonderful work. He, he talks about how this sound technology has accelerated him opening and re-entering into that quantum realm. And so there's interest there. Because, and, and so what's the purpose of that? You know, like, you know, growing up when I told my family I was meditating, they'd be like, great, now he's just going to sit around and stare at his navel all day long. But as we, as we, to me, the portal of that is the portal to the divine, and so a greater and deeper connection there, which is a beautiful, beautiful experience. And, and it grows and grows and deepens, and it doesn't mean we remove ourselves from life. It means we engage life in a whole new way. And I, I love that piece of that. So I, I found this wonderful, one of the things that is a, a, is a theme throughout this research I've been doing on near-death experience, and what determines it is stress. You remember, you know, people will pass away, and then people will say, oh, they're at peace now. Oh, rest in peace. And many times the people that I, that, that if I know them, and I'll think, man, they were pretty miserable when they're alive. You'd really think they're at peace now? And interestingly enough, what, what, what influences the near-death experience more than anything is the level of stress that people have when they have it. So some people have a near-death experience, go through, the, go through that threshold, and they don't have much happening. There's no lights, they don't see any guides, there's no counsel, there's no life review, they're just... And, and what they've correlated through the research, because millions and millions of people have had this experience. And it's not just in, in this uh, time and place, it's throughout, throughout the recorded history. But it's a level of stress. So I think that's quite fascinating. It's like, how am I, how am I managing? And, and stress is really a way of managing or, or, or functioning in a survival mode or a, a way of managing our energy. And so I have a wonderful, I want to play some snippets of this from a lovely researcher by the name of Kelly McGonigal. And she, she did a TED Talk that is brilliant, and I want to share you the first section with you that she talks about her, the shift in perception about stress. Can we cue that up? Yeah, there it is. Breathing faster, maybe breaking out into a sweat. And normally we interpret these physical changes as anxiety or signs that we aren't coping very well with the pressure. But what if you viewed them instead as signs that your body was energized, was preparing you to meet this challenge? Now, that is exactly what participants were told in a study conducted at Harvard University. Before they went through the social stress test, they were taught to rethink their stress response as helpful. That pounding heart is preparing you for action. If you're breathing faster, it's no problem. It's getting more oxygen to your brain. And participants who learned to view the stress response as helpful for their performance, well, they were less stressed out, less anxious, more confident. But the most fascinating finding to me was how their physical stress response changed. Now, in a typical stress response, your heart rate goes up and your blood vessels constrict like this. And this is one of the reasons that chronic stress is sometimes associated with cardiovascular disease. It's not really healthy to be in this state all the time. But in the study, when participants viewed their stress response as helpful, their blood vessels stayed relaxed like this. Their heart was still pounding, but this is a much healthier cardiovascular profile. It actually looks a lot like what happens in moments of joy and courage. Over a lifetime of stressful experiences, this one biological change could be the difference between a stress-induced heart attack at age 50 and living well into your 90s. 
And this is really what the new science of stress reveals, that how you think about stress matters. So my goal as a health psychologist has changed. I no longer want to get rid of your stress. I want to make you better at stress. And we just did a little intervention. If you raised your hand and said you'd had a lot of stress in the last year, we could have saved your life. Because hopefully the next time your heart is pounding from stress, you're going to remember this talk, and you're going to think to yourself, this is my body helping me rise to this challenge. And when you view stress in that way, your body believes you, and your stress response becomes healthier. So isn't that fascinating? Is this, is this not what we teach? You know, what even Alexander discovered when he had this experience, and he was a, a prototypical uh, reductionist scientist. Measure, reduce, measure, measure, reduce, and come to conclusions based on what was, you could see and feel. And he had this experience that came back and he realized what is, what is um, preeminent in the universe, which is what all the great mystics have talked, is what this teaching is based on, is that consciousness precedes experience. And so when we, we, when we have stresses in our life, and the reason that I resonate with this so strongly, as a young man, I wanted, my dream was to be a, a famous actor. And I didn't realize what that was. That dream was preparing me for something else, but at the time that was just in front of me. And so I would go to these acting classes in Los Angeles. I moved out there, and I would sometimes in a night, I'd have three scenes that I would have memorized and ready to go. Man, I wanted to do it. But I, each time I got up to do it, and, this, you know, and I had done this before I went. I didn't just, you know, I had done probably 80 theatrical performances in my, in my home environment before I, I made that, that shift. It was part of my training and, and growing in that proficiency. But I got there, and each time I'd get up, I'd, I'd have anxiety. I'd, my, my palms would get cold and clammy and sort of sweat. My heart would pound a little bit. And I realized, you know, I love this so much. I want to create. I want to be with people. And I want to express and be seen and be heard and all that stuff uh, around that dream. And I realized that I had to renegotiate because it felt stressful at times. And I'd say to myself, why do I want to keep doing this to myself? And I realized because you so much want to share and express and, and, and create and, and all the things that, that were just alive in me. And so I had to renegotiate my relationship with stress. And so what I would tell myself is, man, that's just you getting ready to do your thing. It's a good thing. And when I saw this video, I went, oh my gosh. You know, I stumbled on that myself. People, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest fears people have is public speaking. And, there, and so there's not any energy around that for me anymore. Uh, but in different environments, there, there may be. You know, if it's a different crowd or a different environment. And that'll come up and I'll realize, okay, that's me preparing. But I've always had that conversation and I love that idea. With this near-death experience, so and, and, and the stress once again relates to, you know, we take our consciousness everywhere we go. And if we're stressed and miserable, I think it's a bit naive on my part to think that, well, that'll all clean up once I'm no longer in informed, but if I've got an embodied knowing in my consciousness that is e eternal, then, then all of that, I have a chance to, to process that. And so what I find more interesting and valuable and inspiring is I can do it now. You don't have to wait till I'm there going, oh my gosh, I didn't know I was going to bring all this baggage with me. I think that's quite, quite interesting and, 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 and brilliant to know. It takes seven to ten years to integrate a near-death experience. 
So even Alexander four years ago had this experience, a little over four years ago, seven to 10 years to integrate. So he's still integrating, but he's out lecturing, he's doing his work with the meditation and all that stuff. But that's how profound this, this life experience can be. In children, it takes 20 to 40 years, statistically. They've, they've measured, you know how people measure these things, 20 to 40 years as a child. One of the things they know in the research that, that uh, I've been looking at is many of the Catholic saints had near-death experiences. They would, they'd have this experience with the infinite, that portal would open, they'd be in that uh, infinite realm, and they would come back, and many devoted their lives to their, their life purpose and to be of service to spirit, to God. In fact, they found it also that if you're a Muslim and you have a near-death experience, you see Allah at times. If you're a Christian, usually Jesus will show up, and on and on. If you're a Native American or First Nation, you'll see the great spirit Sometimes when children have had the experience that, that, that their guides will show up in the form of animals. Which I think is kind of cool, you know. You know, you, the little teddy bear's going to show up and keep you company. But whatever it may be. But I just think it speaks volumes to the nature of our consciousness. And who we are informs our experience. And so how we manage stress, is it an is it is it enemy or a, a friend? It, it very much lines up with these threshold experiences of the hero's journey that uh, Joseph Campbell talked about. And I put them up because it's such a, a good fit for that whole thing that this experience, this threshold experience involves crisis. That it's a high, it's a high stress experience. It's a watcher at the gate experience that Campbell talked about, which means facing our fears, stepping into the forest where no one else has gone and blazing our own tra- uh, path. So there's trembling involved. It's otherworldly. Everything we know shifts and changes. There's transformation. People that have gone through this experience, for the most part, are changed forever. And the other piece is that they are imprinted. They are imprinted physiologically and psychologically. So it's fascinating to watch, but isn't it nice to know that we don't have to have a near-death experience to, to reap the benefits of this? But what it requires for us, I know that my journey is one of slow and steady. Mine is one of persistence. One of the, a bit of the advice that uh, Eben Alexander gives, it's, a, it's a, an, a, a journey of persistence. So I want to, uh, I want to show the, the last clip, if we can, ladies. That last piece, yeah, the one more. And this is Kelly again, expanding, because I think this is such a beautiful, uh, this is the conclusion of her TED Talk, and I think it's so beautifully informed. She's talking here about oxytocin. Oxytocin is the cuddle hormone that gets activated when we're under stress. And what it does is it invites us to connect with people that love us or that we love. So she talks about this a bit. Also helps your blood vessels stay relaxed during stress. But my favorite effect on the body is actually on the heart. Your heart has receptors for this hormone. And oxytocin helps heart cells regenerate and heal from any stress-induced damage. This stress hormone strengthens your heart. And the cool thing is, is that all of these physical benefits of oxytocin are enhanced by social contact and social support. So when you reach out to others under stress, either to seek support or to help someone else, you release more of this hormone, your stress response becomes healthier, and you actually recover faster from stress. I find this amazing that your stress response has a built-in mechanism for stress resilience. 
And that mechanism is human connection. I want to finish by telling you about one more study. And listen up, because this study could also save a life. This study tracked about 1,000 adults in the United States, and they ranged in age from 34 to 93. And they started the study by asking, how much stress have you experienced in the last year? They also asked, how much time have you spent helping out friends, neighbors, people in your community? And then they used public records for the next five years to find out who died. Okay, so the bad news first. <laughs> for every major stressful life experience, like financial difficulties or family crisis, that increased the risk of dying by 30%. But, and I hope you are expecting a but by now, but that wasn't true for everyone. People who spent time caring for others showed absolutely no stress-related increase in dying, zero. Caring created resilience. And so we see once again that the harmful effects of stress on your health are not inevitable. How you think and how you act can transform your experience of stress. When you choose to view your stress response as helpful, you create the biology of courage. And when you choose to connect with others under stress, you can create resilience. Now, I wouldn't necessarily ask for more stressful experiences in my life, but this science has given me a whole new appreciation for stress. Stress gives us access to our hearts. The compassionate heart that finds joy and meaning in connecting with others. And yes, your pounding physical heart working so hard to give you strength and energy. And when you choose to view stress in this way, you're not just getting better at stress, you're actually making a pretty profound statement. You're saying that you can trust yourself to handle life's challenges. And you're remembering that you don't have to face them alone. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful, great stuff. We live in such an abundant universe and, and such insightful and wise, wise uh, counsel. You know, how we manage stress, what a gift it can be in our lives. How we manage anything. You know, if you're suffering with addiction, what is that? What, what's the gift in that? You know, that's seeing the good in everything. That we don't have to stay stuck in any one thing. So, you know, talking about picking the crop and, and setting the environment, I think it's so important before we get into like setting an intention for the year, whatever that may be. You know, it's kind of like a New Year's resolution. What, what at the deeper level is how have I cleared the soil and what crop am I selecting? Is it something that stretches me? Is it something so big that I know I can't possibly do it myself? That I need the, the, the assistance and the co-creation presence of spirit in my life? It, that it's rich and juicy? So yeah, I, I put a picture up here of, this is a scene of fall in New England. You know, the trees are changing. None of us would go plant anything in the fall, would we? I do a lot of, we'd grow a lot of flowers every summer, love it, still love it. But we don't plant anything in the fall. The next slide is a picture of uh, most of our driveways right now. Anybody out there planting anything right now? Anybody putting anything in? Just show of hands. Who's putting something in today? No. 
course not. You know, it's just, it's just, so our crops that we select, our thoughts, our intentions really are what we intend to sow so we can reap a harvest. And so number one, the question is, is my crop determined by my past growing season? Once again, I, I put corn in all the time and I, I just expect corn and that's what I do. I grow corn. The second idea is, have I made stress my, my enemy or my allies? That whole thing. To understand that it's really my body preparing me to, to perform. It's the way we support ourselves, that the heart releases oxytocin, which is the cuddle enzyme. This is so cool. It's like, wow. And so then we're called to, when we're under severe stress, we reach out to a friend or someone reaches out to us. That's such a beautiful illustration of community and having meaningful relationships in our lives. Am I I opening to life more and more and more? Or am I shutting down? Because this whole near-death experience, everything I've read, it's an opening. It's an opening that is so vast and mysterious that people come back and cannot describe it, cannot put words to it. And so it indicates to me at that quantum level beyond this, this form, there's, there's this vastness, there's this aliveness that, that you know, I want to welcome more of that into my experience, be part of giving birth to that. The next thought, do I believe there's something more for me to discover? One of the big things that each person comes back with, I mentioned earlier, is that they realize that their life has a purpose that they have unique work to do. Your DNA is like no other. There will never be another one like you, there will never be another one like me. Unique and powerful. To understand that and accept that as our opportunity is such a, a sweet and beautiful thing. And will my crop that I choose produce a harvest that is in alignment with the gifts I'm here to share and what, I, what I'm here to grow? Wonderful, beautiful ideas. You know, in the last slide is just a farmer. So we plant, we, so I think in, in our consciousness is, is preparing that field and that season of sowing in a way that will provide the most beautiful harvest. But if we plant it from stress and not understanding that stress is not the enemy, but in fact preparing us, that a little bit of wobbly, you know, Greg Lavoie says in Callings that every experience with the infinite uh, involves a little bit of trembling. Does it make your knees shake a little bit as you pick the crop? Does it stretch you into something so, so big that it's like you're going to have to learn new things and you're going to have to learn a new way of being? But I mean, that's what we're called to do. And we all do it in our own time and our own space. So in other words, we're not here to just zone out. It's not going to always be about everything is beautiful, although everything is beautiful. It's paradoxical because even the stressful things can be beautiful. And a picture, but we, we plant at a time when it's fertile. And, and we can do that any year. It's not contingent upon weather. It's contingent upon consciousness. So let's ground this together. So what I know in this moment is I invite you to once again dip into that deep well of spiritual knowing and awareness and consciousness. That we've shared some ideas this morning that I know for each and every one of us there's a nugget, there's a piece here that is for us. Unique and beautiful and powerful. And so I embody it, I open myself in this beautiful way. I continue to open my energy and open my energy like never before. And knowing that I bring into my experience the right awareness is the right right people, resources, ideas, opportunities. That wherever I've been limiting myself, wherever I'm, I'm in agreement with struggle or lack or limitation, I know in, the, in, this, in my inner being, I partner with spirit and know that the deepest levels of my being, that that is being done unto in this moment, eradicated, dissipated at the most deepest, deepest levels of my awareness. If there's something for me to know about this, to support this continued clearing, 
I make myself available in this moment, knowing that I am supported beyond measure, loved, cherished, powerful, and amazing. For this I give thanks. And together we say, and so it is.